Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. This is an ABC podcast. Hello, Tess Armstrong here from the ABC. We are thrilled to bring you the recording of the Outer Sanctum's first ever live podcast, It was a really fun night and there are a lot of laughs ahead for you, but just a little warning, there is a bit of coarse language in here as well. Enjoy. Um, <laughs> what do you call a room full of female footy fans who are at the theatre? Thesbians. <laughs> so many of them here. Look at them. We love them. Well, welcome to the Outer Sanctum for another week. I'm Emma Race. I'm Alicia Sometimes and I'm pumped. <laughs> and I'm Nicole Hayes. I'm Lucy Race. I'm Felicity Race. And I'm Kate Sear. We are so happy to have you all here tonight and I just wanted to do a big shout out. I believe there's a couple of people who have flown in uh, for this, which is extraordinary to us, but I wanted to find Georgina Hibbert. Where are you, Georgina? Oh, my goodness. Hello. Welcome. <laughs> Long time fan. Never met you. Thank you so much for coming in from Sydney. We really appreciate it. Now, um, we also heard that there are a couple of people who brought along some show and tell that they wanted to share with you all tonight. I think Nick is in the room. Is there? Oh, thanks, Tess. Oh, Nick. What's that? Hello, Nick. Where are you from? Hi, Tess. I'm from Torquay. What have have you bought? Well, in my under-10s year for the Glen Waverley Hawks, (laughs) it was the under-10Bs. I didn't quite win the best and fairest or the most determined or the goal kicker or the coaches award, but I got an encouragement award. And it says, you tried. And that's something that stuck with me all my life. So thanks for letting me share that. Nick, I th- yeah, is there somebody else over here in the corner? Hello, what's your name? <laughs> oh, hi. Hi, guys. Bet Goddard. <laughs> I, brought, I brought my handbag. It's its annual outing. <laughs> uh, it's a bit like Mary Poppins' handbag because you never know what's in it. But amongst the heartburn tablets, which I might need um, tomorrow morning after going out with these girls tonight, is my uh, inaugural premiership medal. Yeah. My name's Peggy. Peggy, where are you from? I'm from Richmond. Oh, come out and show us what you've got. <laughs> <laughs> Peggy, I'm not in the room. Yeah. 
Do we have to keep our manners in now that the Premiership Cup is in the room? No, no, that is a well-loved cup that's got all the the scraps and scratches and all of that sort of stuff. It's a, it's the People's Cup. It took us long enough to win one. Yeah. Do you carry it to the supermarket? <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't think I can make it down Swan Street. But I have taken it to a couple of bars in Richmond. Uh, with, Do you pick with, up? With, with authority. <laughs> Peggy, talking about show and tell, can you tell us about your shoes? <laughs> I have my Premiership shoes on. Uh, Puma put out a special edition Richmond Premiership shoe and my laces have the names of all the Premiership players on them and they're yellow and black and inside are the stats from the game. Who remembers that? 8-12 to 16-12. <laughs> <laughs> Along with Dustin Martin winning the Norm Smith, uh, uh, Koch being the captain and inside the other one is Strong and Bold. There's a second set of laces that have the song Oh. And they're yellow, and they're very long because the song is very long. So for OH&S reasons, I have the short black ones on today, which have all the Premiership player names I like on it. them. You've got your travelling ones, not your dress ones. On that's right, that's, that's right. Good, good thinking. It's a real yeah. sto um, stocking filler for Christmas. <laughs> well, they only made 3,121 pairs. <laughs> Really? It so sounds three, like you one, paid two, the bill one. for those. I like the, the idea like of, um, of saying strong and bold inside your shoe. And I hope it's just talking about, you know, the way you, that you're going to go about the day. Yeah, Not about yeah. how your feet smell. Not the overeaters. <laughs> <laughs> and how many times do you have a big night and you need to remember the lyrics to the song? So yes. if you look at your oh, feet, yeah. that yeah. is awesome. I, I think okay. it should go to all new members. So if they don't know the words to the song, they can just pull the laces Without out of your the laces. shoes and there you go. Yeah. You've got enough members, Peggy. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, Who's still Richmond here? Who's yeah. <laughs> we're still looking for 2,500 members to make 100,000. So, okay. There you yes. go. Right. So, oh, good luck. I don't know how you're going to do it. I mean, winning premierships isn't going to make people walk through the door. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yes. Thank Thanks, you. Peggy. You're welcome. Thanks, Peggy. Thank you. Some pretty amazing faces in the room. That's just three of them. That's amazing. Amazing, Nick. Like, what an incredible career you've had. Really <laughs> People wonder why the swans are never off, you know, when they've got people like you. Um, tonight we're going to bring you some of the usual treats that we dish up on the Outer Sanctum. Um, but we're also going to do some special things for people who are diehard fans who've been stuck on since season one. We're going to be asking each other and asking our special guest, how is your relationship with football? Our special guest, of course, is Will Anderson. And we'll have a few announcements and it wouldn't be out of sanctum without a musical tribute. So <laughs> hold on to your hats, everybody. But first of all, are you ready to roll up your sleeves? Let's melee, ladies. Let's do it. Let's all go. Right. Let's do it. Mm -hmm. Okay, this week Lucy Zelich has been copying it um, about her coverage on the World Cup. She has, Em. And it's not just her. There's been criticism levelled at female commentators in Australia and also in England, I think. Um, we've seen Enia Luco and Alex Scott also cop a bit. And Vicky Sparks, who is a commentator for the BBC, who actually made history and became the first woman to commentate a live World Cup game in the UK. Unfortunately, the abuse and criticism has come from trolls and keyboard warriors, but it's also come, especially in the UK, from media and from ex-players. Um, people like Simon Kellner, who pondered in an article were any and Alex put there as tokens, as a diversity hire. And he kind of posits that it's like getting a netball player to come and commentate a Major League Baseball game, exactly despite the, the fact that both yeah. of these women have played at the highest level. 
Jason Cundy weighed in um, yesterday on Good Morning Britain and complained... Be careful with that pronunciation. Yeah. <laughs> really careful. Really careful. See, they left He's it to me to do himself. that because uh, Kate and yeah. Felicity couldn't be trusted. No. <laughs> I was just thinking but, that, actually. Yeah. <laughs> That's why I do the, like, serious stuff. Big sister. So Jason, mm. Jason's um, complaint was that he doesn't like a female voice. Poor Jason. So this isn't a new issue. We know, you know, Kelly Underwood has copped it here. We know that Caro cops gendered abuse. We know I saw some stuff that Narrowly Meadows had to deal with last week. And I think it really raises the impossible task that women are faced with when they get behind the microphone, especially in the realm of sport. So here's just a little smattering of some of the criticism that these women copped this week. They were told that they were too good, that they tried too hard, that they weren't knowledgeable enough... They should stick to just women's sports. One of them had too many pauses. <laughs> Menopause? The pause. Yeah, the pause. <laughs> we know the pause. Um, voices too high, not as good as the other woman, and at least she's good looking. Mm. So, yeah, there's that. I decided to go down a sociological wormhole to try and kind of give us a bit of a roadmap with this. So thanks again to Malcolm Gladwell. I'm going to have to start sending him a fee because he always makes me think. But he mentioned some research by a sociologist called Rosabeth Cantor and she looked at um, the issue of when you bring someone who's different into a group that's very much the same and she calls them tokens. And she, one of the things she noticed is that there's certain behaviours that happen when you bring a token into a dominant group. She, her, her um, suggestion is that you just need to bring more tokens in and therefore balance it out. Janice Yoda went a little bit further, another sociologist, with um, some research and she noted that one of the things that happens when you start to increase those numbers of tokens is that there is a backlash by the dominance and I think that's what we're seeing. So for me it makes me think... This is a, it's kind of a sociological phenomenon that's going on and, and I hope that in some way that that might mean that individuals don't feel like it's just them. It's, it's something that happens universally. But it also makes me think that in terms of finding a solution, it has to come from a systemic or an organisational point of view. So that's where I started. When, when you say thousands of tokens, I'm thinking of an arcade game. I know. Actually, Maybe that's not it. It's funny that um, with Lucy Zelich, I just want to read two choice tweets. People were saying that even the people with foreign names don't pronounce their own names correctly. <laughs> so why is she trying? Um, and the second one was women's voices are like mice. Yeah, we're really just regular Mickey Mouses. Um, and Minnie John Mouse. Five Mouse. O- <laughs> Mini- yeah, Minnie Mouse. Uh, and John 5068, you're Donald Duck without pants because that comment is so pants, really. Oh, so I mean, helpful. I know Twitter was, was a, a flame with all this. It's really worth watching the, um, the Jason Cundy thing unfolding on. You said it. I did. Oh, my gosh, look at that. I've been practising. Thank well you. <laughs> They're going to have to edit parts of this, but I got through that bit. Um, it is worth watching for... There's this deeply uncomfortable moment where you find yourself nodding and agreeing with Piers Morgan. Worse. Um, but <laughs> Piers Ackerman. That, that made me feel worse. But the, he really calls him out and says, you know, what you're actually doing is actually just being... He actually called him a sexist pig. But um, <laughs> there was this beautiful moment where he was trying to defend the idea that women's voices are in a pitch that's just too uncomfortable to hear for 90 minutes. Um, Is that why David Beckham doesn't commentate? <laughs> <laughs> 
that and 90 minutes of content. But, um, <laughs> but then they brought out this, uh, this device called a pitchometer and they proved that actually his voice was in the same pitch range as women, um, which was deeply awkward, obviously, for him. And um, so he, he reverted back to a, a, you know, a really strong argument of, well, I just don't like it. Yeah. But what do you do with that? Yeah, there I don't it know. is. Whenever I want logic and reason, my first instinct is to turn to Twitter. And <laughs> so I did. Um, this is actually with the Kundi. Oh, you did it too. Well done. <laughs> I've been practicing all day. It's wow. worse than quincunks. Is that? <laughs> I still Why can't hasn't say that. anyone brought up Yoda? <laughs> Was that the other one? Yeah. Yoda. Yeah, Yoda. Yoda. But this is one of the tweets that, and there were a lot. Um, very true. I'm going to say it again. Jason Kundi. I switched off the other day. Actually, I want you to imagine this with punctuation and grammar. <laughs> Very true, Jason Cundy. I switched off the other day when I heard a woman commentating so annoyed, hitch, high-pitched voice. On the other hand, I would rather hear a woman's voice advising of the next, next train arrivals. At the trains. I don't know what that means. Uh, so he's obviously happy with women being in subservient positions announcing when the train's coming. That's but an important job. You it get is a microphone job. Mind the gap. Yeah. It is. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the other thing I had a look at is I, you went sociological, I went scientific. Uh, there's, a, there's actually a thing about the female voice that we're actually programmed to like it more. And they've tested fetuses that respond to the mother's voice but don't respond to the fathers. Did the fetuses sit an exam or something? <laughs> <laughs> and I'm going to ask questions at the end, okay. yeah. Um, it's called nap plan. <laughs> <laughs> Did you guys know Siri is male in France and Great Britain? And apparently, what? yeah, wow. and in Germany in the, in the 90s when the sat-navs were introduced for the BMW, BMW fan or drivers complained because it had female voice. So there are some countries that don't like the female voice, even when they're reassured that the design, the technology, everything else was done by men. It was just the voice. They couldn't trust it. It wasn't authoritative enough. I like it. I set my sat-nav to the cause, you know, that Irish version. Like this. <laughs> I, have, I love my, an Irish... My... Do you like a female Irish voice? It's the most soothing... Yeah, but did you get the brother? Oh, I wouldn't trust what he I said. Have... Oh, no. <laughs> I have a New Zealand one. I do? So, yeah, oh, turn left. It's beautiful. <laughs> it is. Sorry. No, that's fine. No, and the only other thing I wanted to say was that Jason's... We're just calling Jason. His <laughs> fixation was on the 90 minutes. Like, it, it was all about yeah. for 90 minutes. He couldn't listen for that long. And I thought, it's obviously about timing, so I wonder what that tipping point is. Is it, like, 85 minutes would have been all right or 80? <laughs> and then I thought, maybe we just halve the length of the game when you have a, women, a female commentator and then he'd be able to listen to the whole thing. So wow. I don't know if that'll go down well. Let's not cater to him. Maybe Katie, what do you think of it? I'm I'm actually worried about letting men commentate any sport, any sport. <laughs> and I'll tell you why. A couple of reasons. This week I saw a tweet from Paddy Hill, who's the coach of the Hawthorne women's team, a great guy. Yay. <laughs> Tara, and, hi, Tara. Um, what it was of was some Panamanian commentators in the World Cup. I don't know if anyone saw this um, footage, but essentially there were two male commentators and it was just off camera, just before the game started, and the national anthem of Panama was playing, and this was the first time that Panama had competed in the World Cup. And these two men were overcome. They were sobbing, literally sobbing. And I thought, these maybe men are just too emotional to come and take <laughs> the game. <laughs> then I watched um, the Mexican game, the Mexico-Germany game, which was an upset 
incredible game. Mexico won 1-0 and you probably saw that the whole of Mexico jumped up and down at the one time and it triggered like an earthquake warning <laughs> in, in Mexico. But it was unexpected that they won and the commentator in Mexican, I was watching him commentate the game, when they scored that one goal, he yelled, goal, for like 30 minutes. <laughs> and again, I thought, that's pretty irrational. It's over the top. It's a bit hysterical. I wondered if he... It He's might be that time of the hard. month. Yeah. <laughs> it might be that time of the month. Yeah. Um, but look, in all seriousness, as Lucy said, there's just... Women keep having the goalposts shifted on them when it comes to commentary. There's new reasons being thrown up all the time about why we're apparently not good enough to commentate. BT. <laughs> <laughs> tempting, I think, to kind of get sucked into that vortex of endlessly shifting explanations or requirements and trying to counter each time on their merits why it is that a female voice is okay or a woman who's attractive is okay or a woman who's unattractive is okay. But I just want to see it called out more often for what it is, which is just an unlawful form of discrimination. It's against mm. the law. Yeah. And... So I'm talking mainly to a couple of these women here who tweet all the time, don't read the comments, just mention the Sex Discrimination Act. I think what we've established is that little babies like women's voices, but big babies don't. (laughs) (laughs) There's six of us. How do we tell each other apart? (laughs) I don't know. I don't know. know. Who are you? you, I'm the one that sounds like Terry Wallace. (laughs) Go plow. Johnny Platten. (laughs) But without the tan. Uh. It's interesting because I actually see that media is changing and whether or not it's token to have these female commentators who've played um, soccer at round ball game at the highest level, who cares? We'll take it. Because the world is changing and the world is changing in some part, I would say, because of second-tier media. (laughs) Um, Because... You know, if we look closer to home, and I'm looking at Sam Lane, and I know that Angela Pippos is over there, and women traditionally in media roles in AFL, for example, have always been... It's been a, a one, one spot only. Very rarely see two. But that is changing, and that is changing, and I think in some part, because we're forcing the change. I'm not saying us, but I'm saying probably this AFL life, they probably forced the change, and chicks talking footy. And I always liken social media revolution to the industrial revolution where women could all of a sudden do different jobs because they didn't require brawn or strength to operate heavy machinery. These days, we couldn't find the media that we wanted to listen to but we had the technology to be able to go and achieve it. And so I think that for as long as we want to see change, we have to keep making the change. And I think that that's what we're seeing happen. Mm. And I'll take the token, you know. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah. token's better than nothing. (laughs) Another thing that um, the World Cup has really dished up, Nicole. Goal celebrations, how good are they? (laughs) Do we not love them? I reckon the AFL could learn something from soccer. But I decided to go down, well, we're all going to have a little, uh, pick out some of our faves. This is actually taking us away from uh, World Cup, but does anyone... Are we going to talk about football, by the way? We're talking about Oh, no, that's right. It is called football. Should we just stop? (laughs) (laughs) Don't upset the soccer fans. (laughs) Does anyone remember the Sharpie touchdown? Come on, Frank, you're in here somewhere. There you go. (laughs) Token American. In the NFL in 2002, uh, Terrell Owens... 
Terrell. <laughs> if you're going to heckle, heckle loudly, Frank. Thanks Come on, Terrell, shout it out. Frank, yeah, what are you doing next man, Wednesday? Exactly. <laughs> man studio. He scored a touchdown and he stopped, pulled out a Sharpie, a texter, out of his sock, signed a ball and handed it to somebody in the audience. Oh, so it showed no, serious preparation good. and some, wow, that's some impressive. I know, right? Mm. But there's also, if you're really interested in this, and it's a lot of fun once you do, is there's, there are red card um, soccer you know, soccer celebrations, and there's a whole bunch of them, but my absolute favourite is when a guy, uh, after he scores, and the, a lot of these are amateurs, but that he dacks himself, <laughs> moons his own fans, and then looks stunned when the, when the ref afterwards red cards him. So I think <laughs> if there's, like, the top ten, and I highly recommend you YouTube them. <laughs> for me, I can't stop thinking about Mark Jacko Jackson for anyone over... The age of 30, you remember, but um, just the fact that he's sort of his tight shorts and his... And uh, do a handstand, Jacko. Yeah, yeah, do a handstand. Also, I was at um, an Oz kick a few years ago and a kid kicked a goal and went up to the fence and he's like, if at first you don't succeed, maybe it's because you're crap. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, what about that? But um, I just have to... <laughs> Pick from this Bible, Dipper, tell the kids I love them. <laughs> um, come up and look later. It's full of some 80s jam. This is taking the kicking the goal just that little bit further. The, I'll set the scene. He's in Ireland and uh, he's with Terry Danaher. Oh, and si Simon, sorry, Simon Madden. And they've gone to Dublin and he, they've kicked goals together. They're just celebrating. They're having an awesome time. Dipper pulls out his Playboys. <laughs> And Simon Madden pulls out a highbrow novel such as The Odyssey. <laughs> By the end of the trip, I was reading the novels and Simon was onto the Playboys. He was great company. Aww. So they learnt something from each other. <laughs> it's our book club, oh, I love it. Oprah. Yeah. Oh, I think um, one of my sons learnt something about goal celebration. He did it twice in a season where he uh, went in to celebrate after a soccer goal and got injured. I was going to say, is he in the He's room not to here. shame him? So no. that's why I'm shaming okay. him. But um, I yeah. love a goal celebration and I love the ones that are really spontaneous. Like, if I think about a goal celebration in the AFL, you can't go past when James Heard kicked a goal, ran up to the fence and hugged a fan. Do you agree? Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. The other one I would like to point out, and I think this is going to go down well in this room because there's a bit of yellow and black, Jack Higgins with his first goal that he scored for Richmond, he actually went a triple combo. So there's a few things you can do when you celebrate a goal. Did he whip out his laces and sing the song? He didn't, no. He did a, a triple combo. It started with a finger wag, mm, one of those. Nice. That's right. He went with the double cobra, but he went half strength. Oh. Go back and look at the footage of this. Half strength, double co cobra. And then double point to the teammates. <laughs> Thanks for setting me up. And I thought that was great. Yeah. You know, my sisters call me Hector the safety cat because I'm, <laughs> I'm a little cautious about things. And when I was, looking at, <laughs> I was looking at goal celebrations, I was sort of, you know that final scene in Little Miss Sunshine where you're laughing, laughing, going, oh, oh, this actually has <laughs> got a bit darker. Suddenly I'm looking at goal celebrations where people are ripping off their fingers, climbing into the oh, stands oh. to hug people. There's... You know, spinal injuries from being, you know, the team piling on and all of those sorts of things. And so 
I actually, I'm, okay, I'm anti. Oh, anti <laughs> I'm anti goal celebrations. In fact, I'm I'm going a step further. I'm just going to say next time Gil sends a memo out about goals, I'm sending him one straight back. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to say safety should be his priority, and no more goals. <laughs> well, it will probably surprise no one that I went and had a look at the rules. <laughs> So there is provision in the, the AFL rules for goal celebrations that bring the game into disrepute to be penalised. Um, the language, this the is language real. of Stop. yeah, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. The language of conduct unbecoming is used, which is sort of quaint and, and really gentlemanly. It's lovely, but I'd like to see those rules used more often. They have been used in the past, and sorry, Peggy, for Dusty, once. <laughs> With the jailhouse salute, but that aside, I'd like to see them used. It's good. It's got a name, though. <laughs> but I, I'd like to see the rule used for when, for those occasions when players get the goal celebration wrong. And um, there are a few instances of this happening over the years. So a couple of years ago, Hawthorne's James Frawley, he he's not a goal kicker, so he's pretty excited, and he obviously hadn't thought it through very much, and he, he kicked a rare goal, and in his attempt to high-five teammate Bradley Hill, he missed him and just poked him straight in the eye. <laughs> and Brad Hill had to, had to go off the ground, actually, so I... And then he chose to leave the team and go to Frio, so... Yeah. Definite That's why. Not good. This is his signature move now. <laughs> like to have seen Mr P get involved. I think Frawley should have gotten a week for that. <laughs> I also found some footage online of a player from Whittlesea who prematurely celebrated. Careful. <laughs> yes, I was, I was careful. Very Don't worry, careful. it wasn't Cundy. <laughs> um, but this player from, from Whittlesea took the ball literally about one foot out, kicked it, celebrated, got in the face of his opponent and then realised he'd missed it from a foot out. <laughs> and I was going to tell a story, which I won't, just Google it. Um, <laughs> there is a player in, in soccer who died. Like he really killed that. that was going to bring Thanks a run down. Up the road, oh, saying, yeah, no, it's Google a serious it, matter. This is why we have rules, Felicity. You're the health and safety police. So, I, anyway, my point is the rule needs to be enforced and enforced more often. Right. See, I'm a combo, I reckon. I just... I don't mind the goal celebration. I actually loved Adam Good's goal celebration yeah, so much awesome. and I would love to see that more often and yes. everyone should be doing it, you know? Um, well, maybe not because that's cultural now. appropriation. Yeah, no, no cultural appropriation, <laughs> sorry. But I really hate it. You know that one... That was like when they made the fish and then they reeled it in. Oh, I'm like, so stop dumb. doing that and kick more goals. Yeah. Yes. Like that's stupid, yeah. right? Totally. Yeah. That's anyway, really I'm stupid. a bit over, I'm a bit over goal yeah. celebrations because I just want more goals. Mm. But I think that the AFL, I don't know, it'd be great one time if someone was so excited. Like maybe in soccer you'd see this. Someone was so excited they spontaneously combusted. I <laughs> <laughs> probably like that. So it's dangerous, but also it's amazing. Isn't right? that what no, it doesn't happen very often. They want more fan engagement. They yeah. do. Oh, I mean, it's fireworks. fireworks. We, we need more lights at Princess Park. <laughs> <laughs> so. It's and sweet and Can I say controversially that if if there was a player to do it, can I nominate Joel Selwood? <laughs> 
too hard on Geelong. That got awkward, didn't it? No, it did. It did. And it was Kate who said it for anyone who's not in the room. Kate Sear. Professor. Okay. So at the season one of the podcast, we used to ask people, how's your relationship with football? And at the first instance, um, we would ask people and they'd go... What are you talking about? That's a crazy question. And then people would offer that up to us. And now we pretty much get correspondence every week of people wanting to tell us about their relationship with football. For us, that question came out of the book um, Night Games by Anna Crean. And she doesn't like football, which I can appreciate now that I've read the book. (laughs) Um, But uh, I think we all struggled with it. So we used to ask... Um, other people because we thought it was fascinating that we have we have a relationship with football and it does it waxes and it wanes and sometimes it's good and we never know where it's going to lead us so I thought it would be really nice in this state of state of the union style um, moment for the we podcast hold hands? oh we can I want to ask Felicity <laughs> <laughs> Felicity mm. how's your relationship with football mm. my relationship with football when I was thinking about it has mostly been driven by parenting three boys for 19 years and the various um, contact I've had with so many different sporting clubs. We have a lot of footy socks and equipment in our house from various clubs. But the one theme through it all is most, my poor children. I like to give feedback and I write, <laughs> I write letters to presidents. And so I thought... Watch out, Peggy. <laughs> I've sent Peggy a letter before. It had M&Ms in it too. So that was a kind letter. So so I thought what I would do tonight is just combine actual things I've written to club presidents over the year into one letter that I would like to call Dear President. (laughs) Dear President, hi, it's me again. (laughs) Up front, I want to acknowledge that it was awkward when we nearly ran into each other in Bunnings this morning. It could have been a coincidence when you opened the market umbrella in aisle eight as I wandered past with the swivel mop. But that commando roll out of the gardening section really gave it away. I think I've become a squeaky wheel. So today, please just keep reading because what I want to do is I actually want to thank you and I want to apologise. So let's start with the thank yous. Thank you for replying to my email about food handling at the post-game barbecues. (laughs) So... Whilst I'm still grappling with your argument that gloves aren't really required when volunteers only touch the outside of the hamburger bums, (laughs) um, I'm really grateful that you took the time to reply. And I do agree, we can all make our own food choices. So I will be from now on. (laughs) Thank you for explaining to me that the club only purchased enough of those water bottles designed to prevent disease transmission for the older teams. Because, in your words, glandular fever could really affect their VCE, whereas the little ones would probably love a week or two off school. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, I'm thinking a week or two off with life-threatening meningococcals, probably just long enough to get a limb amputated and get back to grade four. Um, But rather than trying to explain to you that bugs have really moved on since you caught the kissing disease at the Matthew Flinders in 1987, (laughs) um, I just bought a set for the kids' team and FYI, they're $5 each. Thank you for taking my feedback on the recent sports night to the committee for consideration. As I wrote in that one, I really don't like complaining without making sort of suggestions. So my office stands... Next time the club invites a three-peat premiership AFL captain along to speak at an event, um, I'm very happy to curate a list of questions that you might want to start with rather than your own witty opener of 
How old were you when you had your first orgasm? <laughs> no. Really? It, really? Yes. <laughs> Could you thank the committee for replying? Um, I really appreciate them pointing out that I've never played football um, when I asked why my table was the only one with women on it at the sports night. I get that you did, um, that tattoo that says Byron Footy Trip 91 that most of the committee have <laughs> pretty much cements your status. Um, but <laughs> ironically, your point that women don't tend to come to these events because they get offended turned out to be true. <laughs> but thank you for suggesting I wait for the upcoming Ladies' Day, Ladies' Day, to feel like I'm part of the club. So this brings me to my final thank you and my apology. Thank you for the invitation. It arrived today. Some of the glitter on that high-heeled shaped invitation sort of rubbed <laughs> off in the post, but largely it made it here intact. Look, the guest speaker does seem well qualified in her field, um, but I must confess the link between football and the art of cosmetic tattooing is a little lost on me. <laughs> but I do see your wife will be there on the night selling her Tupperware. By any chance, does she have drink bottles in that range? <laughs> <laughs> Just thinking it would be great if all the juniors grew up to be seniors and could also go to Byron. <laughs> so, um, anyway. so here's my apology. I wish to send my apologies for this and all future events at the club because I just don't think it's going to work out. <laughs> Let's be honest, we've all copped a letter like that from you. One <laughs> Yeah, I'll get back to you. Yeah. <laughs> Alicia, sometimes, how's your relationship with football going? Look, those of you who listen to the podcast might know that I'm a big lover of science and maths. And so I bought this book on black holes to explain football. Bear with me. I'm just going to explain, if your mathematics uh, is years old and you can't remember, I'm just going to explain a few mathematical and scientific concepts and then liken them to football. <clears throat> So the science of footy. Newton's second law of motion. Force equals mass times acceleration. It's easier to push an empty shopping cart than a full one. Remember that? Or in layman's terms, bump into Buddy Franklin while he's oiled up, you're in big trouble and the swans will be 86 points up. <laughs> so remember that when you think of math. Newton's law of universal gravitation. Any two massive objects pull on one another across space, but the force decreases rapidly the further apart they are. One word, danger woodlet. <laughs> Any time Gary Ablett, Patrick Dangerfield and Joel Selwood get too far away from each other, the secret triangle is broken and Geelong go down by 10. <laughs> the second law of thermodynamics. Entropy always increases. In other words, it's no good crying over spilt milk. Disorder and mess are inevitable in the universe. Some people think every time Carlton is on the bottom of the ladder, an angel gets its wings. <laughs> Einstein's mass energy equivalence, or E equals MC squared. Energy equals mass multiplied by the speed of light squared. Alicia Newman running and bouncing the Sharon effortlessly from the wing to the square equals Melbourne's perfect goal. <laughs> the Maxwell-Faraday equation. In short, electricity and magnetism are related. Go to page two of this equation and there's an actual photo of Eddie Betts kicking a left foot torpedo punt from 50 <laughs> metres out on the boundary line. 
Schrodinger's cat, the thought experiment. The scenario presents a cat that may be simultaneously both alive and dead in a state known as quantum superposition. Cyril Rioli is at any given moment both tackling the opposition player and kicking a goal. <laughs> the standard model. The theory describes the collection of fundamental particles currently thought to make up our entire known universe. It just reads... A plus F plus L plus W. <laughs> the, logi the logistic model for population growth. It estimates the change in a population of creatures across generations with limited resources. It too reads A plus F plus L plus W. <laughs> Divided by the revenue for zero dollars on TV times the amount of rule changes plus AFLX plus tennis plus heat to the square root of, if you don't get it by now, women's footy is a big deal equals we want more. <laughs> Heisenberg's uncertainty principle. It states that more precisely the position of a particle is determined, the less precisely its momentum can be known and vice versa. Or in footy parlance, how the fuck did Dusty get the ball and where did it come from? <laughs> Sorry, Peggy. <laughs> and the last one, the Aussie rules equation. Beer or wine or a thermos of tea at the footy, no matter who your team is, plus some friends or mates, no matter who their team is, well, it does a little bit. <laughs> plus a gentle nudge with the comment scoreboard, plus some laughs and some warm clothing, unless it's summer, equals the best thing you'll ever goddamn experience. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. Hi, Nicole. Hey, Nicole. So you asked me about my relationship with football and I've spent, I've written probably about 500,000 words trying to grapple with this very question. So sure, I'll sum it up in three minutes. Um, <laughs> the best, so I'm going to go to what I know best, um, is to look at it through the prism of writing a book. Working title, footy, a novel. When you first start a story, it's a lot like falling in love. You're dreamy-eyed, distracted and convinced of its perfection. My teenage love for footy was similarly devout, passionate and unquenchable. As a Hawk fan, it was made easy for me because it was the 80s and footy was basically all that mattered. Remember the 80s? <laughs> they make me smile. Um, we'll call this chapter The Whole of My World. <laughs> That's all 17 people who bought my book. <laughs> Half of them have my last name. I was besotted. And like those first forays into a new story, I was oblivious to the flaws, especially the cursory consideration given to the secondary characters, specifically us, the fans, mere foils to the stars of the show. Easy to ignore at the start, but the deeper into the narrative you go, the shakier your grip on the story. That's when the holes start to show. The plot seems suddenly implausible, the characters thin, they misbehave or vanish completely, ruining your entire sense of what the story's about. This is how I characterise footy in the 1990s. Adolescence behind me, critical thinking in gear and more news coverage around football than ever before. And everywhere you looked, there was scandal and revelations. For example, we had public urination, public intoxication, off-field fights between opponents and off-field fights between teammates, allegations of sexual harassment, sexual assault, verbal abuse, drug abuse, inappropriate relationships with schoolgirls, glassing, altercations with police... AVOs and allegations of violence against women, more public urination, and Ricky Nixon. <laughs> Let's call this chapter Rich Straight Men Who Can't Keep Their Bits to Themselves in Public. 
Or for short, Crown Casino. (laughs) (laughs) So by now I'd hit crisis point. In in story terms, it's called the all is lost moment. In writing terms, it's usually about midway into the manuscript. This is when I curl up in the fetal position, convinced I don't know how to write. That's pretty much how I spent the first part of this century and not just because Hawthorne sucked, though that didn't help. But because a story I thought was a bit wobbly looked to be rotten to the core. So that's when I scraped myself off the floor, forced myself to look at this broken, butchered so-called novel and find new ways through. And footy, I found a new way through too. Women's footy suddenly became a thing that people were talking about and the conversation was changing. Language was changing. We had Indigenous rounds, pride matches and conversations about respect and responsibility and reconnecting with the disenfranchised. All of that peaked in the announcement of the AFLW and that incredible lockout game. You can clap. In story terms, we call this a reversal and it propels you into the climax. And it was echoed in a dramatic shift in the media landscape. Remember when TV footy was wall-to-wall men? Now it's a whole other story. (laughs) Let's call this not all men. (laughs) Now I have to wrap it up, but honestly, when you're writing a novel, endings are the hardest part. Readers will forgive almost any transgression or weakness early on, but they'll never forgive a bad ending. And I don't do neat endings. I don't have one for my footy story either. All I can offer, my only rule, is the promise of hope. And, yeah, it's a work in progress. What can I say? Did you want to ask me a question? I don't know what it could be. I think we already did that. Sisters do that. Lucy and I used to have. We were married on Facebook. People. We used to attract the wrong types of people who were interested into sisters. 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 (laughs) (laughs) Awkward. So, okay, I'd like to tell you about my relationship with football, and I tried to get a high horse. Turns out they're hard to get. So I got this instead. Felicity, would you give me a hand? For listeners, that's the tallest microphone I've ever seen. Oh, she's pulled out a soapbox. She's been wanting one of these for like 25 years. So I once told the story of how I'd asked a man at the football to stop yelling. I was at a game with a bunch of kids and while I love shouting as much as a well-placed swear, his aggressive combination of the two was just not appropriate. His response to me was, hey, this is what we do here. We yell. And if you don't like it, go home and bake a cake. Now, this is perhaps one of the most ridiculous things you could say to me because I have never made a successful cake. (laughs) In fact, the only people who use the oven in my household are my husband and my sons, except for the time that I tried to dry out a Fitbit that had accidentally gone through the wash. (laughs) Now, I can make jokes about this interaction, but the honest truth is that it's one of those things that I replay over and over in my mind. And I think about how it could have gone differently or what I could have done differently to, you know, to have a different outcome. And, And I also wonder what it means about where we're at. At the core of it, my issue is that he was staking his claim. He was owning the space. Like many before him and many yet to come, this privileged white guy felt supremely comfortable with the fact that he was entitled and powerful enough to behave whichever way he liked. And in this case, I thought it was badly and with impunity. When he was challenged, he acted with anger, derision and spite. And nobody, none of his friends, none of his family called him out. We've seen this attitude repeated in many ways by people who think that they own the game and own the space. We've also seen them attack when they're challenged. 
Now, we see this in social media all the time. We see it in the media. We see it at the grounds big and the grounds that are small. But I'm sensing a change. Once I wrung my, wrung my hands about how to reconcile my deep and abiding love of this game with its darker side, the sexism, the racism, the homophobia and the ableism that swirls and eddies around and through it. <laughs> I see what you did there. <laughs> but now I feel part of a group of people who are saying, enough. The AFLW, the Pride Games, the rise of other voices, the voices of Indigenous people, the voices from the LGBTQI community and the voices from the sisterhood. I feel all of these things are coming together as a force to say that we belong in this space too. <laughs> now, I am constantly on the lookout for ways to link football with my love of musical theatre. <laughs> and one of my favourite musicals is Les Mis. Now, I reckon if you squint your eyes and imagine that Alicia is holding the French flags, I reckon there's a touch of do you hear the people sing about our recent group photo. So I say to you, <laughs> will you join in our crusade? Who will be strong and stand with me? Somewhere beyond the barricade, is there a world you long to see? Then join in the fight that will give you the right to be free. To old mate at the footy, I say, go home and bake your own fucking cake. <laughs> How's your relationship with footy, Emma? Thanks for asking, Alicia. <laughs> um, so you guys heard that there was going to be a show and that Will Anderson was going to be in it. Maybe you hoped that there was going to be comedy. I'm so pleased to tell you that there is. But the biggest joke is that I'm doing the comedy. <laughs> <laughs> oh, what a great idea. Yeah, Usain Bolt, I'd love to go for a run with you. <laughs> I haven't done uh, stand-up for about 15 years. So be kind, laugh loudly and don't heckle Dad. I can see you. <laughs> How's my relationship with football? Well, my relationship with footy is pretty good because of the pod. And that's because... The pod is the greatest education of my life. And to be really frank with you, I really needed a good education. When I was graduating from uni, I remember there was this computer course that I had to do. It was compulsory. They weren't going to let me graduate if I didn't do it. So everyone else did it in first year. I ran in, like, the very last day of third year. And I ran in armed with an ability to write a feminist manifesto based on true romance or um, maybe uh, beaches. <laughs> that was about all I had in my arsenal and I had a real disdain for IT. So I walked in and the lecturer said, OK, everybody log in, the password is peanut01. So I logged in, right? <laughs> and my computer didn't work. And I logged in again, <laughs> computer didn't work again. So I threw my hand up and I was like, excuse me, my computer doesn't work. And the lecturer came walking over to me and as she was walking over, she was saying, this has never happened before. She came behind me and as she did, I was like, I said loud enough for everyone to hear because I wanted them to know I was a third year. I said, I'm not like these other, I just need to get this done. I'm, I, don't, I don't have time for all this extra learning and stuff. I've got to graduate. <laughs> and she leaned over and she said, log in again. So I did. And then she looked at me over her glasses and just loud enough for everyone in the room to hear, she said to me, 
how are you spelling peanut? <laughs> <laughs> so it turns out there's an A in peanut, right? <laughs> um, people say to me that my children must be really proud of the work that I do on the podcast, and I'm very, I'm here to tell you, um, they're not at all. <laughs> Mostly they're just embarrassed because whenever I see uh, footballers that I'm in awe of, and you've seen this, Beck, I do this thing where I become like champion data and their mum all at the same time. I'm like, oh, girls, say hello to the inaugural co-captain of the Adelaide Crows and AFLW Premiership winner, Erin Phillips. <laughs> like, their mum turns into the voice of the G just right in front of them. <laughs> Her parents are meant to be embarrassing. Um, our parents are here tonight and, hello, you're not too embarrassing. <laughs> They're not too embarrassing, though, sometimes just a little tiny bit when you use the iPad as a camera. Um, so, uh, Mum and Dad both listen to the pod, which is amazing. Um, I find that really amazing. They're very supportive of us. Um, my dad, our dad is 75. He's getting woke. You know, it's amazing. Um, and I do worry about... Oh, okay. 74, there you go. Dad, don't heckle. I've only got three minutes. Anyway, uh, he's 74. Birthdays in April, don't forget. Um, and... I wonder what Dad thinks about us on the podcast because there's his three daughters always going like, ooh, white men myth and the patriarchy that. <laughs> and it must be really awkward for Dad when he catches up with his mates because Dad actually went to primary school with the patriarchy. <laughs> <laughs> my husband, my husband, um, some of you might know I'm married to Andy Ma, the dorky one from the front bar. Yeah. yeah. Everyone recognises him. People, they always recognise him. And I know this because when I'm walking behind him through a crowd, I see people's faces. They go, like, oh, my God, did you see that one? It was amazing. I love him. Yeah, did you see who that was? Yeah, it was Hutto. Oh, I love Hutto. <laughs> oh, Hutto, you're the best. Anyway, uh, so Andy is one of the good ones. Um, he's not like a wolf-whistling kind of guy. It's more evolved like that. Um, he's had a couple of broken noses, so he's more like a nose-whistling kind of guy. <laughs> but I think you can kind of tell that from when you meet him. I'm a feminist, but I do all the cooking at home. Uh, I'm getting much better at it. But when we first met, I was so bad at cooking, I couldn't even microwave a Richmond membership. <laughs> so it's lucky I don't have to do that now. Um, my children are learning all the lessons of um, inclusion through sport. And I'm very proud of this. And this is actually isn't a joke. It's just really sweet that my eight-year-old Millie said to me recently, um, when I grow up, if I get to have children, um, if I've got a name picked out if I have a baby girl, and I've got a name picked out if I have a baby boy, and I've got a name picked out if I have a transgender baby. Yeah. <laughs> very sweet. Very sweet. So my relationship with footy is good because now I can be a feminist and also be a footy fan. On Thursday nights when I used to watch the footy show, I now watch The Handmaid's Tale. <laughs> and to be honest, watching The Handmaid's Tale is pretty much like a romantic comedy compared to watching the footy show, right? <laughs> Praise be, bitches. <laughs> My relationship with footy is good, but the reason why it's the best is because I learned so much being in the outer with you guys, and I've learned so much from these guys. As it turns out, you guys put the A in my peanut. Yeah. What was really lovely was you didn't swear in front of our parents like Lucy did, so <laughs> she's in trouble. Point <laughs> 
There's always one dobber. <laughs> hey, Katie, welcome back. You've missed the pod the last couple of weeks. We've missed you. Thanks. That's yeah. kind. What you bring to the pod. <laughs> How's your relationship? Did you have time to think about well, it? Well, that is a very tough act to follow, all of you, especially that humour. Oh, um, pick favourites. Yeah, I know. <laughs> yeah. I know she wanted to make them up. That's it. That's it. That's We're it. Done. She's We're done. my favourite. She's my favourite race. Oh. Um, <laughs> we know she that's was, not true. It's she's always Felicity. My <laughs> we talked about this. My mum and dad can hear you, by the way. <laughs> dad thinks that she's holding my hand. It's really way, Felicity because so. she's a middle child too. <laughs> so these girls very frequently accuse me of overanalyzing things <laughs> and overcomplicating things and banging on with the, you know, the law and the theories and the ideas. I can see a few people nodding. Um, <laughs> and often coming, up, coming off a run-up that is bigger than Ben Brown's. <laughs> Hi to Hester. <laughs> Hester Brown down the front. <laughs> That's unfair. I would just want to give a plain kind of summary of my relationship with footy. And I'm going to do it by providing a bit of a, a reading, if you will, of our promotional image, um, the Vanity Fair shoot we did. <laughs> so I think this image very clearly takes its cue from French fem feminist Luce Arigaray's work on mimesis. <laughs> And that's been described elsewhere as the process of resubmitting women to stereotypical views of women in order to call those views themselves into question. <laughs> I think you'd agree. So if we start with Emma, I mean, I think she is very obviously positioning herself as one of Judith Butler's abject subjects. <laughs> She's posing as a mere water carrier holding, <laughs> holding the Gatorade uh, drink. Sorry, it's the ABC. Uh, <laughs> Holding a sports drink. <laughs> <laughs> the, mere, the mere water carrier. And in this sense, Emma is very consciously problematising women's unpaid, undervalued and <laughs> underappreciated work, both inside and outside of footy. So I'm thinking here about canteen ladies, club secretaries, uniform, uniform washers and the like. And, of course, Emma's strapped right shoulder symbolises the heavy burdens... <laughs> in term of, terms of practical work, but also what Ali Russell Hothschild referred to as <laughs> emotional work, the heavy burdens that women carry in Australian society. <laughs> Lucy's wedding dress is a key signifier in the frame. <laughs> it holds her back and weighs her down in her quest to climb the metaphorical ladder. <laughs> and deliberately subversive manoeuvre from Lucy, she appears as the archetypal feminine, the bride. But in fact, she aspires to more than the two options that women, at least in footy, have traditionally been offered. That is to be a wag, or as Billy Brownless would have it, a wallet. <laughs> Google that one if you forget the joke. <laughs> Now, the many layers of Lucy's dress operate as a kind of Deleuzean assemblage, <laughs> signifying the complex social, cultural, legal and political entanglements, as Karen Baran might argue, that operate separately and together to thwart women's progress. Clearly. <laughs> 
I feel like I'm kind of just saying the most obvious. I just yeah. looked at really yeah. even try. I'm not even trying. There's so many blank... I was like... Oh. I just looked at it and thought, God, that bitch can fit in it. <laughs> <laughs> I also noticed she's got no right foot. Um, <laughs> but a long leg. She's got a long leg. a long leg. So I'm holding Anna Crean's Night Games, which Em referred to earlier, and that is the book that offered up a scathing indictment of the AFL and rape culture. But as you'll see, I'm not reading the book. Although its pages are open, demanding that they be read, <laughs> I've turned away. <laughs> <laughs> now, this is clearly inspired by German philosopher Martin Heidegger's work <laughs> on erasure, or suze retour. <laughs> And the gesture, gesture renders the absent present, reminding us of society's persistent, willful blindness towards sport's most uncomfortable truths, especially in regards to sexual violence. Felicity, over on the edge of the frame, holds the holy grail of footy, the Premiership Cup. Not the real one, Peggy, don't worry. <laughs> and here, the holy grail is a metaphor for women's empowerment. It's the ends to which we all aspire. And you'll see that ostensibly, although Felicity holds the cup, she remains unsatisfied. Look at the look on her face. <laughs> Resting dissatisfied face. <laughs> now, this is obviously a commentary on AFLW season two. <laughs> We've been given the cup, and yet we cannot fully drink for it, from it. Or rather, we can... But the AFL filled it with some cheap-ass Lambrusco. <laughs> Alicia waves the white flags, and I think it goes without saying, of course, that this is a reference to Michel Foucault's concept of biopower, <laughs> particularly his theory that all individuals are subject to a moral code, learn that they are bound to act according to that code, and then engage in practices of self-discipline in order to comply. So Alicia here is surrendering to Foucault's panopticon, <laughs> acknowledging, as Foucault himself famously argued, that the individual is the product of power. But as Foucault famously also argued, where there is power, there is resistance. <laughs> and so finally we come to Nicole. She represents the future. <laughs> the future nervous. where women are valued, where we stand atop the ladder with female coaches, female commentators, where we play the same game with the same rules for the same pay. <laughs> we will get there eventually, but as Nicole's exasperated expression reveals, <laughs> once we do, we're going to need a stiff drink. <laughs> Just don't make it some cheap-ass Lambrusco. <laughs> cleared up our relationship with football. Yeah. Wow. Any questions? I feel no. like Kate came out of uni knowing how to spell peanut. <laughs> yeah. and, and Kate, I just didn't know what to do with my hands, that's all. <laughs> it gives me the greatest pleasure to welcome up to the stage, to the microphone, the host of ABC's Gruen, an award-winning com actual comedian. <laughs> His podcast, Kin, he's been so kind to us. His name is Will Anderson. Yeah. Uh, I was honoured when the girls asked me to come in and do the podcast and respond on behalf of the patriarchy. So, <laughs> uh, so man, what's up with that? What did they say? Yeah, look, 
think I mean, look, they haven't been listening. <laughs> so it's a genuine question, Will. You've had enough time to ponder it. How is your relationship with football? It's interesting, isn't it? Um, well, thank you. I mean, it is genuinely exciting to be here. Um, it's funny that Night Games is up there on the screen because uh, Ch- my friend Charlie and I have a podcast uh, that we do about AFL. And, uh, Plug it. Go uh, for uh, it. It's called uh, Two Guys, One Cup. Um, the reason it's called that is because when we started the podcast, I barracked for the Western Bulldogs and he barracks for uh, St Kilda. So between us, uh, we'd been bonded over the fact that we'd only ever won one premiership each and that was kind of the nature of our relationship. And we started that podcast in 2016 and the Bulldogs won the flag and really buggered up the podcast. <laughs> so, uh, uh, But we started it a lot because we had both read night games and uh, we were too... You know, I mean, we're two, uh, you know, white heterosexual blokes, you know, the sort of, you know, we see us in the media, but we still weren't really seeing us in that media. You know, as footy fans, as people who loved AFL, it was that book and it was Adam Goods, you know, mm-hmm. who got mentioned again tonight, the way that the football community, or at least part of the football community, had reacted to Adam Goods and uh, what had happened with Adam Goods. You mentioned that famous Adam Goods celebration, you know, and I, I remember there was a week of people just going, well, he waved an, um, it was a threat. He waved an imaginary spear at the crowd. And I was like, oh, no, put up your imaginary shield. <laughs> like, and, you know, this is an imaginary issue, you know. So I, I, we were not seeing the discussions that we wanted to hear about the game that we both loved. We didn't feel like even when we looked at people who looked like us, you know, uh, and had the same sort of life experience as us, they weren't really talking about the game in the same way as we wanted to. So, uh, you know, that's when we started ours and that's when I started listening to your podcast and... um, it's interesting that you say that, that you joke, you know, before about the idea of, you know, the six women, how do you just tell the difference between each other? But the truth of it is, no matter how... I think when you're raised in the predominant culture, you don't understand quite often until it is genuinely pointed out to you over and over and over again that your life is not the way that everybody else's life has been, right? You don't notice it. You know, you, like, that's the thing about, you know, privilege as a general concept is it's a tail breeze, you know, and you just go on with your life and you don't notice that you have a slight tail breeze. And so it takes a while for you to realise that even if you consider yourself to be somebody who, you know, is someone who is interested in seeing other people's perspectives and hearing about the world, that there is just so much of the world that, hasn't been accessible to you. I was talking to the wonderful Felicity Ward, who's a brilliant Australian stand-up comedian, and uh, uh, we were talking about the idea there was a list put out that if you wanted to be a good feminist, there was like 50 tips, just like 50 practical tips, go through the list, and, you know, here's some ways that might actually help. And I went through the list, and I was like, you know, feeling pretty proud of myself. I'm like, oh, yes, I do all these things. I'm very good. Oh, look at me, pat, pat, pat on my back. And then one of the things that it said on the list was, do you consume as much female produce media as male produced media and that was the question that more than anything really stopped me in my tracks because I was like no no I don't no nowhere near as much and particularly when it comes to this game and you know it's the Lucy Zellick thing's been really interesting this week because I think it's another byproduct of this I mean Lucy someone who started you know doing a po- like started doing a podcast had already proved her expertise she came through you know the the mm-hmm. VFL the the minor leagues and made her way to where yeah. she is now yeah. and is being criticized for trying to do, do her job properly I think it was Titus O'Reilly who tweeted during the week you know that she's getting in trouble for pronouncing people's names properly and Brian Taylor never has one <laughs> 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 like, like I mean Lee Montagna Montagna 
Magna. I don't see. He played for 12 years, and we none of us still know. Yeah. Do you pronounce the G or not? I'm not sure that Joey knows, right? So, I, um, I have had an interesting relationship with football because it's one of those things where I love it. Like, I mean, I was raised in a football family. Um, you know, probably uh, my dad's a dairy farmer from country Victoria, and he's lived on the same road all his life, and he doesn't you know, drink alcohol and he's never smoked a cigarette and he married the first woman that he ever kissed and uh, he's lived on the same road all his life. But it means that we don't have a lot of things, you know, in, in common, right? <laughs> and, like, I'm glad that you didn't marry the first woman that he ever kissed, though. <laughs> well, I, you know, I did love my mum when I was growing up. But, no, he... Like, my, my, this will give you an example of what my dad's like. My dad has come and seen my stand-up show at the Melbourne Comedy Festival the last 22 years. Every single show he's come and seen and he's never said anything about at once. Never. <laughs> never. He comes along and he sits there and he never says anything. And I'm fine with that because you know what? No compliments, no criticisms. That's a world that we can both exist <laughs> in, right? Don't you ask though? No, no, oh, no, no. Oh, dear God, no. I don't. <laughs> no, no, I don't want to know. We're in a good place. But uh, this year I did a show about um, uh, I got uh, mistakenly arrested and so I made a whole show about it. And, um, my dad came and saw the show and we're sitting down on Bay Street in Port Melbourne the next day and he, just out of the blue, he says to me, he says, you know, I, I really liked your show this year. And I'm, I'm like, what are you... What are you and he says, it had a story I could follow, not like your usual shit. <laughs> uh, so doing stand-up in front of your parents is something that um, I, 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 was, uh, I was feeling for you. <laughs> um, but uh, I have a relationship with football. Obviously, when the Bulldogs won in 2016, it changed the way that I had um, defined myself. You know, mm -hmm. like, I mean, yeah, Hawthorne fans don't understand no. what I'm talking about, <laughs> but, you know, you guys have four bad weeks and everyone's like, Sat Clarkson! <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> but, you know, the Bulldogs, I used to joke, you know, that we'd won our last premiership in uh, 1954, which meant that if I'd wanted to see the replay of that grand final, all I would have had to do is wait another two years until television came to Australia. <laughs> <laughs> and, and so the predominant story of my life had been this story of, you know, non-success. You know, I define myself through the fact that I loved the game despite the fact that the game had never been particularly kind to me. Um, it's funny now, once you have that level of, like, you, that you achieve that mythical thing that it was meant to be about, it's amazing how much that you start to see maybe some of the other, like, really focusing in on some of the things that you don't like about it. Mm. You know, like, you, when that thing's off your plate, that, there's a lot of other things where you go, I love this thing. And I, I think AFL, I mean, Aussie rules, Australian rules football is the greatest game in the world. And I think you all think that as well. And that's why you do this. And it's probably why all these people are here. I sincerely believe if you put every single sport up against each other, I mean, anytime anybody else, any other sports person sees this sport, I mean, you know, they have to run like a marathon runner runs, but you also be able to sprint like a sprinter. They can tackle you from any direction. Yeah, what I loved about the game, you know, particularly early on, was that it was a game for all shapes and sizes, mm -hmm. you know? If you went to the NFL and you said, who's the best uh, quarterback in the NFL? And there was a room full of people, you would pick Tom Brady. You would just look at him and go, yep, he looks like the one who's yeah. like the super yeah, athlete. Yeah. Like if you went into a basketball, you'd pick LeBron James as being the best player in the game. If you went into the AFL and you went, who was the best player of the last century? They would point you to a tubby bloke with a moustache in the corner and go, that's Lee Matthews. Yeah. Look at him. <laughs> and I love that about our game. And there's a part of our game that is perhaps going away from that. 
a little. Mm. And it is why I think, you know, I certainly have got so much joy out of the AFLW because it feels to me like it, the ridiculous conversation we have so much about the AFLW is the direct comparison. Like, I, we hear it all the time, mm. right? The direct comparison with the men's game. And to me, that's the thing that drives me most crazy about it because it's obviously such a unique thing of its own and I don't understand why we wouldn't be... I, most of the things I hear people complaining about, about what they're not liking about the men's game at the moment, go and watch the AFLW yeah, yeah. and you won't see those things. You've got this other option at the moment that's playing the game the way that you claim that you want to see the game played. So, um, no, it's been exciting. You know, I think, like all of us, I have a complicated relationship <laughs> with football and it fluctuates from day to day. And, you know, I work in some of these environments that, you know, you guys are... Uh, you, know, you know, pointing the finger at and being critical of. And so you see it from both, you know, sides of, the, yeah. of it. And it's a, it's a hugely complicated and complex world. And so I don't know, I have an exact answer. I wish I'd prepared a piece <laughs> or something. But, that's pretty good. But, I feel like yeah, that's a really that's, uh, good... Yeah. Um, well, your podcast, I guess, gave us a bit of confidence and sort of reiterated something Sam Lane said to us in a very early interview, that you actually don't have to come out with stats and facts the whole time to be able to talk about football. We certainly try not to. Because <laughs> <laughs> we get them wrong. I, you know, when you talk about football, you don't talk about statistics. Wondering where the two men doing a football podcast is more of an expectation that, that you will fall back on the, the actual gameplay and then the social... I don't, I don't know if there's more expectation, but I think there was even there was a level of self-imposed expectation about that. Mm-hmm. You know, we started being footy fans, talking about being footy fans, and then you do it for a while and you almost, like, there's a, it's like a symbiote, mm-hmm. just kind of you start to do it yeah. without yeah. even thinking about it. You're like, I need to know more about yeah. this or I need to be more informed mm-hmm. about this, whereas... We've gone the opposite way again now. Like, we've you know, gone way back to the things that actually fascinate us about the game. Like, you know, the other night, uh, we, we had a like, conversation. I mean, anyone who's ever... And by the way, this is an excellent, really intelligent podcast. I'm not necessarily recommending my podcast if you like that sort of level of thing because often we'll have a 40-minute conversation about whether players wash their own socks or not. And, but it's an ongoing conversation because it turns out it's different at different clubs and, like, different clubs have different rules and and West Coast are taking their dirty laundry on the plane back to West... Anyway, look, I'm fascinated by it all. Um, the other day, it was like we had a conversation about just that thing of going, what happens to the players? Describe to me what happens to the players immediately after the game. I like, just this. walk me through what... Ha- they're the things I love, the things around the game. You know, the, the, the fans, the experience. Like, probably the greatest week I ever had, you know, in my supporting football was that week uh, before the Bulldogs' grand final because, you know, for me... It, there wasn't, I guess, a lot of prominent, you know, Bulldog supporters. And so the club had kind of leaned on me a bit to, you know, if there were some media opportunities and stuff to, you know, go out and just kind of represent the view of the fans, you know, like be a voice for the fans. And what happens in that situation is then the fans will come up and tell you their stories, right? And I'm sure that you guys have experienced that through this podcast, which is you suddenly feel like you have this massive responsibility to represent all these people and all their dreams and all their stories and they all have one you know this is how I started supporting this club or this is the time I did this and you know you become a bit of a like a voice for for the voiceless in that regard so you know that's what I I think there's a lot of that happening now right where you know Mangrook's like that and what you guys are doing is like that but there's a whole bunch of different options now and I think that I like the hope that in the, you know, even if it is just two blokes talking, that maybe there are more interesting conversations coming along anyway. Mm. 
Will, I'd just like to ask you a question. As someone who does comedy and also works in mainstream media, has the way that you think about language changed over time and, you know, what is it okay to joke about? Is that something that you think about consciously? Oh, yeah, constantly. Yeah, constantly evolving. And, and like, absolutely 100%. Like, um, there are things that we would say easily eight years ago that you, you wouldn't say today. And I imagine the, the more complicated bit of that is if you're realistic about that, right? If you're saying there was something I would joke about four years ago or five years ago or six mm. years ago that I wouldn't joke about now, is there's probably something that I would joke about now that in three or four years from now... Like, I mean, the way we talk around, you know, trans issues, for example, like, we were, I don't think any, you know, three, four, five years ago anyone would have been... in. Well, maybe there would have been plenty of people intentionally yeah. being offensive, but there would have been people who weren't trying to be intentionally offensive who didn't know the language yet or didn't know, yeah. you know, the issue enough, hadn't heard enough of, you know, of people's perspectives to understand why that <laughs> might be offensive. I think... I thought about this a lot with the... The policeman who uh, got uh, you know, a fair amount of flat, uh, for the Eurydice Dixon uh, comments about warning women, you know, to take responsibility when that happened, and I absolutely understood the idea of why that women had a problem with that. Right? Mm -hmm. You know, okay. don't tell us, you know, that we have to mind our behaviour. Tell the people who are perpetrating this behaviour. And by the way, we mind our behaviour all, all the time. time. But. I don't know if I w would have been aware of that 10 years ago, you know. And we are catching up really quickly on these conversations. And I think, you know, there is going to be times where people are not quite caught up yet. And you hope that, yeah, the intention is that we all get caught up, you know. Yeah. That's, that's my hope. Yeah. My hope's always that you get inside the system a little bit <laughs> and you hopefully just keep nudging it in the right direction. Will, just finally, um, given that you have now won a premiership and seen it. It's obviously changed you. Personally. You. Yeah, yeah, you personally. I mean, I took I a lot of responsibility you. for well, it. Well, you talked about how, you know, you, you had a role. You played your role, Will. Well, we needed I, you and you played your role. Yeah, thank you. Do you look at yourself a little bit differently these days? Because we certainly do. We go like, oh, Western Bulldogs, eh? <laughs> wow, that's very... Very good coming from you. Yeah. <laughs> like, that is like the millionaire on the island, on Gilligan's Island, making fun of Gilligan. No, that is... That is punching down. Right? Gilligan had one good day and then Gilligan went back to being Gilligan. That's what's happened in my life. Have you seen us play this season? We're like, we're like the idiot who won the Tats Lotto and then, like, eight weeks later was like, we spent it all. But hang on a minute. I would... I would claim that you're actually, at the moment, this season, having a premiership hangover because in February this year, you put a yeah. cup in your cabinet. And That's I reckon true. your male players went like, oh, we're done. Yeah, well, that, <laughs> I mean, that is true. I, I must admit, it was such a cold and rainy day the day of the AFLW uh, grand final. And there was a small part of me that was like, oh, do I really want to, you know, go and stand in the rain in the cold, you know, and watch the game? And I was so glad in the end that I did because I didn't realise it was the last time I would be happy. <laughs> how much it has been a joy to sit next to you yeah. and hear you speak. Thank you so much for Thank being you. on the podcast uh, and being our special guest today. Thank you. Oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. So that okay. just happened. So that just happened. So excited. It's embarrassing because he's still in the room. We can't. Oh, <laughs> oh, yeah, usually when a guest leave, we're like, did you oh, fucking leave? <laughs> <laughs> we would 
would like to... We've got two little announcements that we'd like to make. Um, the first... I'm going to take the honours on that one, I think, if that's OK. Is Bridget Barker in the room? Where are you, Bridgie? Bridgie. Uh, Bridgie Barker from North Melbourne Footy Clubs here. And as you know, um, a lot of people um, have come along to our Kick and Coffee events. Anyone in the room been to a Kick and Coffee? Yeah. Make some noise. Don't raise your hand. It's a podcast. Yeah. Talk. Yeah. <laughs> we can't hear you. Um, so we've done two Kick and Coffees and uh, we are but just six women and we try so hard to um, make those events happen because so many beautiful moments happen and conversations and um, we form these beautiful bonds over kicking and coffeeing. But we are so proud and pleased to announce that we, uh, our kicking coffee and the North Melbourne Football Club are joining together and we're going to have a little partnership so that we can take kicking coffee out to the other zones that North Melbourne look after and they're going to help us with the infrastructure of that. So we will be kicking and coffeeing in the North Melbourne zones of Arden Street, Wyndham and Tassie, which we're so excited about. So for people listening, it just demonstrates the collegial nature, is that the right word? Yeah, that'll do. Oh, wasn't peanut. Um, <laughs> collegial nature of women's footy that, um, that people are just offering to help support us to take this further field. And we can't wait to kick and coffee with people that we haven't yet met in Wyndham and Tassie. And the other great thing about that is that, um, as you know, kick and coffee is free, but we asked just for a gold coin donation. And um, North Melbourne is happy to support us to keep, donate all of um, the money at gold coin donation will be going to Bowel Cancer Australia for research, which we are very thrilled about. So thank you very much, Bridgie Barker. So stand by for updates about that. Felicity, oh. you got a little announcement. Yeah, I've got, a, I've got an adult announcement that... Yeah, the excitement of being paid every month has overtaken me. And so um, this is my last little pod here. Um, so unless we stop podding during business hours on a Wednesday. So I'll still be involved. Us will come and do kick and coffee. I'll take the Tassie one if that's okay. <laughs> that suits me. And, um, you know, we should be doing some radio again at the end of the year and other events and things. But, yeah, Wednesday mornings, I'm going to be an adult. Really? Yeah, I've got to go to work. So, yeah, thanks, everybody. You've been lovely. <laughs> we probably need to get another sister. Yeah. yeah. Someone that's got, like, some good witty jokes. Witty jokes. Also, one. you need to be a never-noobed. Oh, yeah. Um, and, whisper. and a whisperer. And a whisperer. Oh, I I talked a whispering quite... never-noobed. Did I, I talked loud enough tonight. <laughs> you, did well, tonight. you did well. Now, yeah. hearing from us is one thing, but we actually love to hear from you yeah. guys. So earlier, Alicia went out and did a little bit of research because we would like to hear how your relationship with football is and Alicia is going to present that for us now. It was great to... Thank you, Em. Uh, it was great to be in amongst you all at the start and I got to only a small fraction of you... Coretta Scott King said, the greatness of a community is most accurately measured by the compassionate actions of its members. And Jeff Bridges, aka the dude from The Big Lebowski says, the way to change the world is through individual responsibility and taking local action in your own community. So I asked everyone, what does football mean to you? It means teaching me that sometimes heartbreak can have a happy ending. A community and suns out and guns out. <laughs> it's my life, I play it, it is my friends and it is my family. It represents all the qualities you need. Fuck yeah. <laughs> the basis of the relationship with my father. It's the only thing where we, he and I had a, could have a serious conversation. 
It is family. I married into football. I was told if you marry into this family, you have to change who you barrack for. <laughs> the Sydney Swans and my family. It's all new and exciting and I love AFLW. Footy means the world. Maybe that's not good. It means so much to me. I'm heartbroken when Carlton lose. It's more than a game. Footy means connecting with family and friends. I finally got back into football. I was completely off football until the AFLW. It's my welcome to Jesus. Gee long. <laughs> Ferdinand found her people who stop her getting stung by bees. <laughs> football is shattering your hearts and your dreams through ups and downs. It is our community. Football <laughs> now means that the World Cup is finished and footy is important to me again. <laughs> <laughs> this one is my favourite. I want it on a T-shirt. Hot pies, cold beer, can't lose. <laughs> <laughs> Footy was mean to me, now it's nice. It gives me permission to scream in public. Fuck yeah, again. It's your handwriting for sure. No, no, it's all my handwriting. <laughs> Fitzroy, something lost, Geelong, something found. An intergenerational connection, blood, sweat and tears. I've been going to the footy forever. I've got two sons and a daughter who play footy. <laughs> Fucking ACLs. <laughs> my Jemima. I can't even come up with a word, it's all too much. Footy means rushing home to watch the replay as Gray Davis shanked a shot at goal at Vic Park and it landed on the away team race and I had to climb up and get it and throw it back and that night I was on the replay. <laughs> Footy, why, it's my whole goddamn life. Oh. I just want to quote Daniel Johns and say, I'm watching you watch over me and I've got the most... Something view? Beautiful. The greatest view from here. Um, am I doing this now, Tess? I think so. Yeah. yeah. So at the end of the podcast, as you would all know because you all listen every week, <laughs> we say, go footy. So we want you to join in. So we're going to say, uh, thanks very much for joining us this week. And there's nothing else left to say but... Go footy! Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.